Hello and welcome to the Christchurch Waco uh, Catechesis class. I'm Father Lee Nelson, the Rector of Christchurch, and it's good to have you with us today. Today we're going to be talking about the Fifth Commandment, Honor Your Father and Mother. But first, let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, through your mercy, obtain everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're continuing on in the Catechism on page 100 under Becoming Like Christ. This is the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are usually considered to be the third pillar of catechesis, the first being uh, the Apostles' Creed, the second being the Lord's Prayer, in which prayer is taught, and the third being uh, the Ten Commandments. So having taught the faith, um, as we are taught to believe it in the Apostles' Creed, and being taught to pray, then we're uh, taught how we ought then to live. Um, this may seem to many counterintuitive, uh, because uh, for many, Christianity is nothing but a moral exercise, and that's terrible, actually. It's not, not, not right at all. Uh, first, uh, to know the faith. Um, second, to know how to pray and to know how to live uh, uh, in the communion of the Trinity. And thirdly, uh, given that, uh, to know uh, what the church teaches about uh, our, our moral and ethical obligations, not only to our neighbors, but to God. And uh, the commandments start off with our relationship with God. They uh, look directly to how we ought to worship, how we ought to serve God, uh, and it teaches us about serving God only, uh, shunning the worship of idols, uh, and thirdly, uh, to uh, say quite simply that, uh, that to take the name of the Lord in vain uh, is sinful, and then fourth, uh, dealing with the Sabbath day and how that is kept holy. The fifth commandment is a kind of um, pivot between these commandments about God, loving God and loving God well and loving our neighbor. Um, certainly you can look at honor your father and mother and say, well, this is loving your neighbor, but these are uh, related to one another. This honor of father and mother relating to the honor and worship of God, but also uh, being the first part of loving one's neighbor, that neighbor who is the first neighbor that you have. So we're on page 100 of the Catechism. Uh, this can be picked up uh, online through Amazon. We have copies available uh, with Christ Church, and uh, it's published by Crossway to be a Christian and Anglican Catechism. Uh, but let's ask this question, question number 300. What is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? I should love, serve, respect, and care for my parents all their lives and should obey them in all things that are reasonable and conform to God's law. Um, God, as a loving father, calls upon his people uh, to treat those who are their parents with love, uh, service, respect, and care, because he knows that the way that we care for our parents will be, in large part, and the way that we learn to care for them will be, in large part, the way that we learn to honor him. We first learn everything we know about uh, a loving God from loving parents. Now, many of you struggle with this. You, you have parents that are not always loving or are never loving or, uh, or are difficult and, and are a struggle. And so uh, we will spend some time talking about that. But, but the first thing is that that is not what God intends. God intends that um, parents should raise up their children uh, in a way that, that multiplies uh, uh, faithfulness generation after generation. Uh, but also, 
that the children should love, serve, respect, and care for their parents. It was understood in Jewish society that uh, that parents um, that that your re- that your parents' retirement uh, was not their responsibility but yours. Uh, it was for you to take care of them, uh, and this is a way uh, of of really doing something which is which is amazing, really, in, in human history. It is to say that uh, God wants generation after generation after generation to be tied to this way of faithfulness. The Jewish people are to teach their children these commandments. They are to uh, uh, speak of them on the way. They're to do all these things, as Deuteronomy 6 puts it. Um, and so generational faithfulness is so important. I think, you know, one of the things I talk to uh, uh, engaged couples and about to be engaged couples about as we're doing premarriage counseling is the opportunity that they have to start a new branch of the family tree, one that is founded upon uh, this kind of faithfulness to the thousandth generation even. I say, you know, uh, to these two people, I say, a nation will come forth from you. Uh, and, and the question you should ask yourself is, what do we want that nation to be like? And your family culture and the way that your family is operated will determine that. Um, and every parent should set out knowing that the child they're raising will someday uh, be responsible for caring, for caring for them, but children ought to be taught also to love, honor, respect, and care for their parents. Um, now, when we get to this question and later on about obedience, uh, should, should obey them in all things that are reasonable and conform to God's law, this obedience to, uh, to your parents uh, does not come unqualified. There are qualifications put upon it. Um, first of all, it must be reasonable. Um, parents uh, w- will often ask their children, especially adult children, to do things, but also young, young children as well, to do things that are positively unreasonable. And the commandment is not asking us to do things that are, uh, that are outside the bounds of reason um, or that are extreme or that are uh, problematic. Um, and also, it's not asking us to do things that don't conform to God's law. So, for instance, if your parent you know, commands you uh, to do something awful and sinful, well, well, you are under no obligation to do that. Um, I've, I've often worked with, with youth who, uh, for, for no fault of their own, are in a situation where mom and dad are saying, you can't go to church today. And the question is like, well, what do you do with that? And, uh, and very often, um, I've had conversations with parents where I said, you know, uh, your, your, your son has been coming to church and, and loves it and, um, and really has found a place here. And, uh, and I'd really you know, appreciate it if you, would, if you would encourage that rather than obstruct it. Um, and sometimes that, even that falls apart and, and uh, we have to work through that. But, but the reality of it is that uh, children are always bound uh, to, to keep this, this covenant faithfulness with God. And that should show us something, which is that the primary thrust of this commandment is preserving uh, a, a generation by generation faithfulness and a kind of culture. And as the people, if you remember this historically, when they're out in the desert, they've come out of this, uh, this terrible uh, time in Egypt. They're being brought out uh, to be a people who are God's own, who uh, will, uh, who will uh, live out this faithfulness generation after generation. And it doesn't go well much. Uh, but, but there's still this understanding that, that, uh, that the son and the daughter ought to honor the father and mother. Um, 
But let's go back to the first part of that question. What do we mean by love, serve, respect, and care for my parents all their lives? Well, the first thing should be obvious. It means that uh, as um, as adults, when our parents start to experience frailty and uh, and struggles and health problems, that we are to care for them in that. Um, it also means that uh, we are not to leave them destitute, but to uh, to make sure that uh, they're cared for. But the prime one is to love. And sometimes love uh, is, is complicated by the fact that, that, uh, that uh, adult parents or, or whatever it may be, um, they, they don't really want uh, the right things for themselves. And so it's very hard to navigate this, and, and uh, so, so please bear that in mind. But, but this is meant to be a way for this, this, this culture of faithfulness, again, to be perpetuated. Question 302, how should parents treat their children? Um, so let me just say this before we enter into this. This is, this is a wonderful turn here, which is to say that the, the commandment does not only touch on how children ought to treat their parents, but it touches on how parents should treat their children. So let's ask it again. How should parents treat their children? Earthly fathers and mothers should represent to their children the loving care of our Heavenly Father by nurturing and protecting them, teaching and modeling to them the Christian faith and life, guiding and assisting them in, in education and encouraging them in their lives and vocations. Um, I've known many people through the years who simply uh, did not feel and rightly so, encouraged by their parents. This, you know, it's always so discouraging to be around my parents, and and this is a terrible tragedy. Um, many, 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 many people today grew up in utter shame and, uh, and and neglect and rejection, and it's a terrible thing. And so, this section of the catechism also teaches uh, something to parents, saying, "How should parents do things?" You know, parents, and, and I have seven kids. I'm always thinking about how can I better model for my children uh, the good life, uh, life in Christ, a life of faithfulness, a life of sanctity. And so, we should represent this loving care of our heavenly Father to our children. This is the first way that children are taught the faith: is by seeing in their parents. And I'll say this as well, particularly in the father of the family, um, nurturing, protecting, uh, teaching, modeling, all those things. And that's not to say mothers have no place in this. Mothers have a wonderful place in this. But it's to say that that, uh, fathers serve a very crucial role, and I'll say more about that in a bit, in nurturing the faith in their children. Um, They are to to nurture and protect. They are to teach and model. Um, and they are to guide and assist, um, not only in their education, and I think this is, this is really important, and a lot of people, because of uh, COVID-19 and, and schools changing over, are starting to say, you know, maybe we should think about homeschooling. And it's not because they're opposed to public education or private education. It's that they're simply saying, during this strange time, maybe it's best to just have the kids home with us. And I think one of the things that people are discovering is that it's not... Uh, the education of children is not the primary responsibility of schools. It's the primary responsibility of parents. And I think a lot of parents today are seeing that again. And it's not to say if you send your kids to a school, you're neglecting them in any way. It's just to say that that uh, always, 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 parents have the primary responsibility for education um, and, and the guidance and assistance of their children. Um, lastly, this answer gives a bit about um, encouragement and um you know, one of the things that, uh, that parents often forget is it's their role to not only be a teacher, but to be an encourager as well. Uh, when children go through rough times, to, to take them by the hand and say, you know, I really understand it. 
uh, and and I really want to help you, and, and and in any way I can, I'm here for you, and and uh, and so if you ever want to talk, I'm here, and and uh, and and I really do uh, show interest, you know, you show interest in their lives, and and so often I know this personally, life gets so busy that you tend to be like, well, the kids seem to be fine, and you forget to to um, to nurture them in that way, you forget to build rapport with them, and and all of a sudden there are all of these issues that come from that. Um, one of the things that many in our generation have had to deal with is this is this problem of, of you know kids being latchkey kids and not really having that uh, encouragement from their parents. Many many of whom grew up in uh, families uh, where both parents were working, and uh, and it's and it's very difficult. One of the things I want to say as well is that. It is the role of parents to nurture the faith in their children, um, not only by making sure they get to church, which is really important, uh, but also by doing this work of catechesis. And one of the things I teach is that it's important that you as a Christian be well catechized so that you can in turn catechize your own children. Um, our children today are, are, are faced with so many uh, confusing things. And uh, if parents are also confused and don't know the faith, there's really no way for them to teach it to their children. I want to say a bit about uh, fathers before I move on. You know, one of the things that we find in research, and, and uh, this is really crucial, is that children whose fathers attend with them, uh, attend church with them, uh, are far more likely to continue in faithfulness and Sunday worship for the, for the rest of their lives. Um, it's a very important thing that fathers be engaged in this. Uh, some research seems to point to the fact that simply hearing a father's voice singing in church is, is a crucial uh, factor as well. Um, this actually says something about who we are as human beings. We are, we are made to hear a father's voice. We're made to hear the father's voice. And so there's something uh, very deep in us that yearns for this, this voice of a father, this, and as well, the voice of a mother, to speak into our lives and, and to uh, bring encouragement. And, and I'll say again, it's, it's very difficult when uh, children and adult children face this problem of mom and dad are not encouraging. They're, in fact, very discouraging. Uh, mom and dad are, uh, are very judgmental, or mom and dad are this or that. And, and so sometimes these things have to be navigated. And, and, and sometimes as well, I'll say as well, um, you know, parents just decide they don't want anything to do with their children. They're, they're, they're fed up. They don't want to. They don't want to be around them. They don't want to call them. They don't want to do any of those things. And and it's very painful when a when a child is rejected in that way. And so uh, uh, one of the questions is, you know, how do you honor and love and care for your parents who don't want anything to do with you? And and the simple thing that I would just say is that that the Christian is always called. Uh, to do the, almost even like the bare minimum for their parents, which is to love, honor, and respect them uh, uh, as they pray for them. Um, it's a very difficult thing when father and mother become your enemy. Um, and so it's very important that, that, uh, that we do as Jesus says, which is to pray for our enemies, uh, to pray for those who hate us. Um, so I want to remind you of that as well. Question 303, how did Jesus keep the fifth commandment? As a child, Jesus obeyed Jer Joseph and Mary on the cross. He provided for his mother by entrusting her to his disciples' care. In his life, he obeyed the lawful requirements of the civil and religious authorities, and in all things, he sought to do his father's will. Um, Jesus, being uh, a divine person in two, uh, in two natures, the human and the divine, both uh, bears the, the burden of honor to the Father, capital F, as well as to his father and mother, Joseph and Mary. Um, and he obeys them. 
there are scenes about Jesus' young life in Scripture. The, the one that really stands out is the one in the temple, uh, where Jesus is about his father's will. And, and uh, the, the parents say, why have you treated us like this? And we see that, uh, that whatever obedience he bears to Joseph and Mary is, is almost overshadowed by the obedience he he bears to his father, but but God in his great mercy uh, uh, gave care of his son to uh, righteous people, uh, Joseph and Mary, and they show us in, in wonderful ways how to be this loving, fa- this loving father and loving mother. Um, we don't know much about Joseph, except that he cares for his wife Mary, and, he, and we don't know when he dies, but, but we know that he does care for her. We also see Mary do something really wonderful and courageous, and that she goes to the cross with her son. This is an image of, of the kind of encouragement that parents can be to their children as they endure awful things, is simply this, to be with them. Um, we see other scenes where Mary, uh, Mary uh, uh, encourages her son to, uh, to care for these people at the wedding feast at Cana. She, she says, son, they're out of wine. And, uh, and, uh, and she turns to them and says, you know, do whatever he tells you. She is, she is uh, with her son. She is uh, not, uh, t- not directing him. Uh, and that's kind of one of the neat things about that, 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 uh, that sign in the Gospel of John, the, the changing of water into wine at Cana, is that she doesn't say, son, you know, go do this and go do that. No, she says, consider this for a moment, son. <laughs> and he does. Um, Furthermore, uh, and, and so one of the dynamics that, that, you, that you can see as well is on the cross, Jesus is not only cared for by his mother, but also he cares for her by entrusting him, by entrusting her to the beloved disciple. Um, and this is, a, this is a big thing. He says she needs someone to care for her, and so she needs a son. And so he gives her a, a son to care for her till her life's end. Um, he obeyed the laws. This is a, uh, an interesting thing because um, Jesus uh, is shown being put to these tests. You know, it's, it's, can you obey the law of God and also obey the law of the Romans at the same time? And, and what does he do? You know, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's uh, and give to God what is God's. These, these things are not in conflict uh, to live under the lawful requirements of, of the authorities that exist in the world. Um, according in the Christian world and the Christian tradition, um, obedience to authority is a virtue. Um, now, certainly, earthly authority has its limits, and that needs to be said. Uh, but for the most part, um, we're taught in Scripture to to give due honor to those who are in authority over us. And Jesus shows us how to do this. You know, there's that wonderful scene when he's he has to pay the tax, right? And he, and he tells Peter, you know, go out and uh, cast your cast your net and. You know, bring up a fish, and in the fish's mouth is a coin to pay the tax. Um, Jesus not only pays the tax that is his to pay, uh, but and he puts himself under earthly authority in the right way. And I say this as I'm recording this on uh, the new and updated July tax day. But this is essential uh, to, to Christian faithfulness, is to um, uh, be under the authorities that are put in place over us. Finally, Jesus seeks in all things to do his Father's will. There's that wonderful uh, uh, scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus is, uh, is in great agony, 
and he's he's sweating blood, and he he prays to the Father, um, you know, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. But what does he say in the end? He said, "Not Thy will, not my will, but Thine be done." He prays that the Father's will will be done. And Christians pray this every day, you know. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Christians learn from the Lord Jesus Christ a way of living according to God's will. Question 304. How else do you love God in light of the fifth commandment? I also keep the fifth commandment by showing respect for teachers and elders, by obeying, as far as is lawful, those who hold authority in the church, my employment and civil government, and by conducting myself in all things with reverent humility before God and my neighbor. So let's break this down a little bit. Keeping the fifth commandment does not simply mean that you honor your father and mother, but it means that you show respect for teachers and elders. Um, many of you watching this might be students, and uh, one of the things that we are bidden to do by this commandment is to show respect for those teachers um, in all that they have to teach. They're put in authority over us for our good. We can also think of elders, um, uh, older people in society. Um, many, uh, many people today, many older people, feel completely uh, rejected by, uh, by the society that, that, uh, that, that they uh, exist in. Um, many uh, many of our elders are are put in long term care facilities and things like this, and they're they're just they're just neglected, um, and and that can't be. Further, uh, by obeying as far as is lawful those who hold authority in the church, my employment and civil government. Now again, earthly authority has its limits. Uh, so a great example is you know I am I am the. Uh, spiritual authority in this parish, and uh, that's actually part of why people call me father. You don't have to, but it's why people do. And, uh, and uh, should I require you to do anything that is contrary to Holy Scripture or contrary to the law of the church, um, you can oppose me. <laughs> you, can, you, can, uh, uh, you can refuse it. Um, and and you know, Please, if you ever do this, call the bishop. Please, you know, uh, because because more than likely, you know, the reality of it is that the bishop needs to needs to say something to me, and uh, and uh, and and uh, you know, rest assured, I'll probably have called him by that point as well. But but the point is this: that uh, that um, an ordered society requires um, structures, or you might say hierarchies, which involve this kind of authority. And in order for things to work, somebody's got to be in charge. Um, and, you know, and we're seeing, even on the news today, just how anarchy just doesn't work. Um, anarchy is, uh, is, is, uh, is to say that, that no one gets to make decisions. And as Christians, we are bound to uh, live under the, the, the instruction and the direction of those who are in authority over us, first our parents and then others. Um, so we are to obey those who are in authority over the church. I am a man under obedience. I have uh, sworn for my life um, obedience to my bishop. Um, in employment, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a manager asks you to do something that's reasonable, that's moral, that's good, then you should do it as soon as you can. Um, and in civil government, you know, we, we are bidden to be um, not not simply obedient. I think obedient obedience often carries a tough connotation for people, but but maybe the better word is something like deferential. Um, and uh, and uh, this is this is not to say that we should turn a blind eye to evil or to uh, or or 
uh, obey when we're told to do something which is gravely immoral. Uh, but it is to say that and insofar as we're able, and insofar as we're able to be compliant, uh, we ought to be. Um, and this isn't a shame, and this isn't a lack of virtue, it actually is virtue. Um, lastly, uh, by conducting myself in all things with reverent humility before God and my neighbor, and I think this is really the clincher, um, to conduct yourself in reverent humility means, and I'll say this strongly, it means to be a person who listens before they speak, um, who is always interested to know what others have to say, who's especially interested in being attentive in prayer, and further, who keeps a close watch over what they say. Now, I know this is really hard to do, but, but today we have so many who, who just need to say everything that pops into their minds, and, and they often show a lack of humility and a lack of, 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 of reverence before God and before your neighbor. And I'm you know, the first of sinners among this, but, but the reality of it is that, and I need to hear this too, is that, is that I need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Um, and so much of, uh, of what's going on today is we have this uh, reactionary society. One of the things we're told uh, uh, is, you must decide now. Uh, you must decide immediately um, which side you're on. And this creates a very deep problem. You know, we, don't, we don't perceive that we have time uh, to, to deeply think about Political or philosophical issues or religious issues, we're, we're very much said, we're very much told you must decide now, and it leads us to be rather uncritical and unable to listen. So this is an important thing that needs to happen. And in fact, uh, the greatest moments of healing in society have happened when when people simply, uh, in humility, say, "No, I I want to listen to you. I want to understand." Um, and and uh, you know, I'll say as well that uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm I'm deeply interested these days is is how uh, political ideology can actually serve as a kind of religious experience for people today. Um, we actually know that engaging in partisan politics actually um, gives your brain a dopamine hit. Surprisingly, you know, there it is. It gives your brain a dopamine hit. So, um, you know, if you find yourself uh, getting really excited or maybe just really like amped up over a Facebook post or a Twitter feed, you know, check that. Check that a bit and say, you know, am I? Am I? in a place where I'm ready to listen or am I in a place where I'm ready to hear or, or do I just react? And am I just trying to express uh, my solidarity with the herd that I'm a member of? Um, those are good questions to ask. Uh, Christians are called to radical faithfulness to God and, and not radical faithfulness to a party. Uh, so that needs to be said today. Um, and uh, and uh, radical obedience to a party is not the same thing as honoring father and mother. Question 305, what blessings result from obeying the fifth commandment? Submission to God's appointed earthly authorities helps me to resist pride and grow in humility and promotes the justice and peace of society in which human life flourishes. This is not only to say that submission to God's appointed earthly authorities in the way that we usually think about it, but also to our earthly parents. Submission to their authority helps me to resist pride and grow in humility. Um, one of the things you, you start to learn rather quickly, and many people have shared this with me, and I'm, I'm starting to learn it myself, is you know it's a very trying thing to try to raise a teenager. Um, but one of the things that, that they that they have is their minds are so constantly going that they tend to um, to live, and maybe unintentionally, but maybe also intentionally, in in pride. 
and and they think I know better than than you do, mom, or I know better than you do, dad. And and mom and dad are saying like, yeah, well, yeah, you don't know much. And uh, and so one of the things that you learn as a, as a as a teenager is, you know, oh, I I really do need to get over my pride. I don't know everything. I'm not I'm not an adult yet. I don't really know those things. Um, as scripture would say, I don't know how to go out or come in. Uh, and and so one of the things that you learn from this is is that when you grow in humility and you learn to listen and you learn to set your pride aside, um, justice and peace in society are fostered. They're promoted. Um, maybe you serve on a on a board or a, or a, a group or a committee of some sort. Um, to be the person on that committee, and it's very hard to do, but to be the person who, who says, I'd like to listen to everybody and I'd like to try to understand this and understand what, what you're thinking um, and put myself in your, in your point of view for a while. This is an incredible skill. Um, uh, you can um, actually change the tenor of the conversation. You can actually, um, you know, the best way to win an argument is to understand um, from top to bottom your opponent's view. So listening in this way, with humble listening, is essential uh, to promoting peace and justice in society. And, and I, you know, I say this strongly that um, one of the things that we have today is we have this situation where people are so quick to speak that our, that our society is less peaceful than it would be otherwise. People are uh, speaking out of pride and arrogance and not knowing, uh, not knowing much and, and uh, speaking out of ignorance. And... Uh, and Christians have to be very quick to say, there are things that I need to learn. There are things that I need to come to know here. And, uh, and uh, so it's an, an absolutely essential thing. And flir- human life flourishes in a society where there's peace. Um, I've been a couple times now to the country of Rwanda, where uh, you may remember in 1994, there was, a, there was a mass genocide in the country. And, uh, and it was a terrible thing people killing each other and really one group killing another group in the streets with machetes and, uh, and a million people died in that, in that genocide. Uh, and one of the things that you learn being there, um, it's still a rather, uh, um, a dictatorial country, but one of the things that you learn is that, uh, a process was initiated in which people were really encouraged to, uh, listen to one another, to learn from one another, uh, to, to be slow to speak. And this brought about an incredible amount of peace in that society, um, and it is one of the most stable nations in, in all of Africa today because of that. Um, now, it's not perfect, but, but uh, one of the things I've learned in Rwanda is that, is that people there are very, very cautious about, um, about, um, about spouting off, for instance, their, their political convictions. Um, and, and they're very slow to think about things, and they, they really do take their time, which is which is a good virtue. All right, question three hundred six. This is the last of this section. Does earthly authority have limits? Yes, all authority comes from God, the King of Kings, who expects me to love, honor, and obey Him above all earthly authorities, whenever they command me to sin. Uh, this is one of the reasons that Christians actually need to know what sin is. Uh, sin is not just this sort of moral category in which we say, well, I, you know, I apply a principle to determine what's right and what's wrong. No, that, that's, a, that's an enlightenment idea that, that really has very little place in Scripture. In Scripture, um, you're encouraged to know God's law and know his will, and then apply your reason to think through what, what, uh, what the bounds of that are. So there's no, it's not that there's no place for reason, it's that 
we must apply reason to think about that. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is worth mentioning here before we really get into this question of does the authority have limits is that most people actually at the end of the day don't really reason their way through moral decisions uh, before they make that decision and before they take that act. Most of the time they actually operate by intuition. Um, they, uh, they, they, uh, they go with their gut and that's not unreasonable. It is actually a highly tuned sense of how things ought to go. We, we react to things uh, with disgust. We make moral judgments uh, based largely on disgust uh, for, for, the other, for the other way. And, um, and this is an important thing that's built into us. What we most often do is we, we reason after the fact. Um, and so one of the things that uh, Christians have to do, and I think this is really, really key, is we have to actually um, let God sanctify our intuitions. Um, uh, and this is really, in a very simple way, uh, what it means to be a person who's formed in virtue. Um, and how do you get to be virtuous? Well, the, the ancient philosophers tell us, by doing virtuous things. Uh, so, so the Christian can respond in a way that is holy and, and in accord with God's will, but our intuitions have to be formed, our, our consciences have to be formed. Um, and that actually can be done by thinking through our past actions and saying, uh, what did I get right and what did I get wrong and what was good about that and what wasn't? Um, and this is all bound up in one of the things that's an essential part of a rule of life, which is um, an examination of conscience. But I want to get into this, uh, does earthly authority have limits? Part of the problem here is that many people just sort of think, well, I'll, I'll reason through it, and then I'll do or not do whatever it is that is proposed for me to do. Uh, and this leaves you with a lot of problems. Uh, it's one of the reasons that uh, Christians really do need to think in advance of what's coming to them. You know, if I'm put in this position, what will I do? If I'm put in that position, what will I do? Uh, and how will I think through that? And there has to be uh, some formation of that conscience in advance. But it also means that uh, in, the, in the deepest possible sense that we are obedient to God alone at the end of the day. And we have to kind of wrestle with that. Are there things that earthly authorities can, can, can ask of us that are in accord with God's will? Yes. Are there things that, author that earthly authorities can ask us to do that aren't explicitly against God's will? And the answer is yes. Um, but when it comes down to it, the Christian says about when, when he's invited or asked or commanded to do something that is explicitly evil um, uh, or, or, a, or a command to sin, the Christian is commanded to say, we will obey God and not you. <laughs> and, and you have to, in a sense, prepare for this and think through this. Um, when will that day be? When will that day come? Uh, many people are, are rather confused about this because they, they believe that God uh, calls upon us to live in utter liberty, to do what we think is right at every given moment. Um, and that is uh, not actually the Christian idea. The Christian idea is to have your conscience and your will formed by divine revelation and by the truth of Scripture. And that requires listening to God. It also requires listening to earthly authority, uh, particularly the church. Um, but I want to say this, when it comes down to it, uh, the Christian chooses uh, the witness of martyrdom over witness to uh, obedience to earthly authority or witness even to our own 
rational abilities to determine what is right and what is wrong. Um, how does this play out? Well, it's played out in the history of the church, especially in the lives of the martyrs. Um, I'm thinking of, of two examples. The first is that in the ancient church, it was often the case that uh, great persecutions or, or deep persecutions were, were, were foisted upon the church by simply commanding Christians that you must burn one grain of incense before this image of Caesar. And Christians almost universally understood that this was a violation of, uh, of the second commandment. And they would refuse and very often go to their deaths. Now, many Christians um, uh, really apostatized or, or just did it. They said, well, get it over with. It'll, it'll all be over. And one of the questions was how to reconcile them. And, and they were reconciled, ultimately. Um, but uh, it's to say that Christians still regard this as sin and still regard their, uh, their refusal to keep God's law as sinful. Um, another example uh, that comes to mind is is the Ugandan martyrs. And the Ugandan martyrs were uh, were servants of the, the king of um, Uganda that were uh, invited to participate in, in illicit sexual acts um, with the king, and they were they were commanded to do it, and they refused. Um, and for this, they were they were burned alive and tortured, and uh, they were they were early converts to to the, to the faith in that country and in that nation. And one of the things that you find if you trace the history of that nation is that it's, it is an overwhelmingly Christian country today based upon uh, the witness of those martyrs uh, in the face of a brutal, tyrannical uh, king. So, so uh, Christians believe that uh, martyrdom, uh, in, in this sense, disobeying earthly authority, can actually bear great fruit down the road. And it, but it does take the exercise of our reason to know when that is. Um, I'm, I'm very, uh, I feel the need to be rather careful about this because there are many people who say we're being persecuted by our government right now and you need to stand up against it. And, and, uh, one of the things I want to say is that uh, that moment has not, I don't believe has yet come. So let's just say that, let me just say that strongly. I think there are times when there will be a time when, when that, when that might be the case, uh, but I don't believe that time has come yet. Um, no one's been commanded to do something that's, that's immoral or wrong or, uh, or evil. Uh, we still have great freedom in this country, freedom to worship, freedom to, uh, to, uh, to keep the Sabbath, for instance. Um, uh, you know, there's no law against uh, uh, honoring your father and mother, or there's no law against adultery. Um, and in many ways, Christians are held to it. We are. We're held to a higher law. And so, uh, but it is not in conflict with, with civil law. Um, and, uh, you know, again, there could be very trying times when, when, um, when, uh, when, when it's put to you, you must do this. And, uh, uh, but uh, there's always a great, to be, great deal to be gained by, um, by saying, I'm going to be very, very, uh, very prudent about when that time comes and, uh, and following through on that. That's all for today. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.